Hi, I'm Matt Crowley, and welcome to our episode on establishing and managing boards. So let's talk about what boards are and what they aren't. If you have a corporation, you need to have a board of directors. The reason for it is the company is created by its shareholders. The shareholders have the ultimate say over everything that happens at the company, but they don't want to be involved in day-to-day decision-making. So instead, they create a board of directors. The shareholders elect the members of the board of directors, and then the board of directors is supposed to make all major decisions about the company. They also appoint the officers of the company. The officers are the next run down. The board doesn't want to meet every day to manage the company. They appoint the officers to handle day-to-day operations. Employees report to the officers. So shareholders own the company. The board is responsible for managing the major issues, handling those things and appointing officers. Officers handle day-to-day operations. Employees report to the officers. So the board of directors is supposed to obviously approve the officers, but also major transactions like selling the company, selling the assets of the company, entering into a million-dollar contract when we only have $2 million worth of revenue, signing our headquarters office lease. Those are all things that the shareholders want the board to be the ones to approve. They don't want the officers approving major transactions. They can bring those items to the board for the board to consider, and then the board approves them. Now, you may hear two different types of board terms. There's the board of directors. The board actually votes and makes decisions. Another type of board is an advisory board. So come join Crowley.com with me. We're going to sell software that cures cancer through your iPhone. The board of directors is going to make major decisions, but we may be able to get someone like Steve Wozniak, one of the former co-founders of Apple, to not sit on our board. We want to get advice from him, but we don't want him making decisions at the board level. Instead, we'll ask him to be an advisor. And as an advisor, he has no decision-making authority, but he's someone that we would like to put his smiling face on our website say that he's an advisor and he's a member of our advisory board. The advisory board can meet whenever we want them to meet. Could be once a month, could be once a year, could be never. But the idea is that we would have a board that for branding and marketing purposes, as well as being able to get some business strategy, that would be what the advisory board does. So now let's take the advisory board and set that aside and focus instead on the board of directors. So who gets to be on the board of directors? If we're at Crowley.com, we probably only have two or three employees, and we're probably all calling ourselves co-founders. So initially, the board might just be the co-founders. It's usually not a good idea to have mom or your brother-in-law or your girlfriend on the board of directors. You want these to be people that you trust their business judgment. Why is that important? Because if I'm the CEO of Crowley.com and we have three board members, I'm only one. If the other two people decide they don't like me anymore, I can find that the board will vote 
to remove me as the CEO. So you want to make sure that the board members are people that are going to be good decision makers and helpful. Uh, a co-founder does not have to be on the board. If we have three co-founders, we don't need all three of them to be on the board. In some states like Delaware, you can have one board member no matter how many shareholders you have. So not every co-founder gets a seat on the board. That's also important if we're going to try to raise investor capital. Usually a company is going to raise investor capital by selling its stock. And when it does that, in each round, whoever the lead investor is, is probably going to want a seat on the board because they want the information that the board members get, and they also want the voting power. So imagine that we decide to sell Series A preferred stock in our first serious round of investor capital. We sell $2 million worth of Series A. If we get somebody to buy a $1 million worth of Series A, they're probably going to want a board seat. Not every investor gets a board seat. Only the ones that are making major investments. And even then, it's a negotiation. Now, in, in terms of how many board members do you have to have, in some states like California, they have a rule that if you have one shareholder, you have to have one board member. If you have two shareholders, you have to have two. If you have three or more, three 30, 300, you at least have to have three members of the board. That's not true in every state. It's certainly not true in Delaware, where a lot of venture-backed companies will have their company incorporated. So in terms of who's qualified, uh, we've talked about we don't necessarily want mom or dad. We want to have people that are involved in the business. Now, founders are always worried about control. And gosh, if the CEO and the chief financial officer are on the board, but then we raise three rounds of funds and we give three investor seats, now we'll be outgunned on the board of directors. Three votes out of five, two founders, three investors, five board seats. The investors might vote against us every so often. Well, that's the risk that you take when you take investor capital and you give people board seats. So that's why if you have two VCs, venture capitalists, that are lead investors in your Series B round, you may not want to give them both actual board seats. What else could you give them? Well, as an investor, if I'm going to give you $1 million, $5 million of my money, I would like to be able to attend board meetings. I would like to be able to get the same financials and uh, presentation decks that the board members are getting. And I like to be kept in the loop and be able to have the CEO return my phone calls. That doesn't necessarily mean that I have to have voting rights. It could mean that I get what's called an observer seat. So if I'm a full member of the board of directors, I get all of those things and I am allowed to vote I'm required to, you are required to seek my vote whenever there's an election or there's some other major vote going on. With an observer seat, the observer is allowed to call into the board meeting, allowed to attend if they want to. They get the presentation decks, but no voting rights. So that's one way to make a, a large investor happy and at the same time make sure that we don't have 
too many investors on the board uh, at the same time. Another thing to think about with board size, if you look at a company like Disney, they might have 15 board members, which you can imagine as a founder, if you're the CEO or CFO, that can be a lot like herding cats just trying to get a board meeting to happen. So usually a good board size for a true startup company is one to three board members. As you add investors, if the idea is that you'll do four rounds of investment before you sell the company, that's what it needs to get that big, then you could have six to seven board members. So one of the things you have to remember is much like Robert's Rules of Order, there is a document that's called bylaws. And the bylaws lays out how you have a board meeting, who's allowed to call it, who's allowed to attend, how many board members you need to show up in order to have what's called a quorum. So if we have a board of seven, but only two board members show up for the board meeting, should a vote of two out of seven count for approving a sale of the company? Most people would say no. And the statutes generally say no. They're going to want to make sure that at least a majority of the board shows up to the meeting. And then a majority of those that do show up would be enough to approve whatever it is that the board is considering. So in an example where you have seven total board members, if only three shows up, that's really not a majority. It's not a quorum. And so the board could still meet. They can talk, they can listen to the head of sales, talk about what the presentation is going to be for the IBM meeting, but they can't actually have a vote. Now, what if you need to take an emergency action or something that we have a board meeting once a month, people are all over the country or all over the globe, and we can't afford to take time out of our busy days to do an actual board call. What you might do is you might do a board consent. So it's possible to have the board resolutions. The resolutions are what it is that the board resolves to have the company do. They could have those resolutions put into a document and circulated for consent. Doesn't have to be blue ink signatures. These days, it could be on a service like HelloSign or DocuSign, electronic signatures. But usually email exchange is not sufficient. It's a little too informal you'd wanna do it in the form of an actual document. That could be circulated to the board members. And depending on the state, in some states, if a majority of the board signs, that's enough for the action to take effect. In some states, unanimous consent is required as a way to create a speed bump so that the board isn't always just doing things by consent, that they really do meet every so often to talk about significant items. So now we know an awful lot about how boards are constructed, who sits on them, the difference between a board of directors and an advisory board, how observer seats can be used, and what it takes to actually affect a resolution by the board and approve major items. So my name is Matt Crowley with Crowley Corporate Legal Strategy. I'm a corporate finance lawyer, and you'll see my contact information at the end of the video. Hopefully I'll hear from you and hopefully you'll enjoy our other videos here. Thank you.